Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. In the NIV, he says this. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh, Baniah, by the Mount Seir road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and at Edrei, and at Edrei had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I've given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Wow, 2022. That's gone by pretty quick. Welcome everybody at home. It's really interesting. It might, it might seem like a strange passage we're looking at this morning, but I want to provide a, a little bit of context regarding this. As it, as it says in verse 3, it's the 40th year. They've been wandering around 40 years in the wilderness, for those who don't know, and they're on the edge of entering into the promised land that God had promised them. Um, there, was, there was a land flowing with milk and honey, the, the promise of abundance where the people of God have, had, had experienced so much. I mean, think about this, the 40 years of wandering around the wilderness. Before that, it was, it was years, centuries of slavery under Pharaoh. Before that, they were experiencing prosperity in a foreign land in Egypt under Joseph. But... And even before that, you had Abraham and, 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 and everything going on with Abraham as God called him out to be the patriarch of the nation of Israel. Right? I want you to just think on something. From Abraham to Joseph and Egypt to slavery to Moses to 40 years wandering in the wilderness, this is a people whose identity was never really secured in their location their identity that was never really secured in their military might, that was never really secured in any sort of political power. If anything, their identity was solely upon their relationship with God and how much God loved them. That was it. That was their identity as, as a nation. So now in Deuteronomy, after 40 years of wandering, they're about to enter into the promised land. So God says, look, we're going to sort all this out. Now, it's more than just going in to possess the land. Because essentially, this is a nation that hasn't really had any home. Thus, it's the founding of a country that's theirs. Am I echoing? Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, okay I'll just keep talking. So they have to start off with a, a, a whole, like politically, like legally, like morally, like culturally, like tradition. Everything starts when they enter into the promised land. They are establishing a society from scratch. And so they have more than just the 10 commandments. They have the 600 or so that God has given to them and how their land functions as a 
land. And so that's why there is this opportunity for newness, this opportunity for them to go in and be and fulfill what God had called them to be. Now, bear in mind, the reason why they're not there yet was because of their own choices, because they chose to not to believe in God's power and in God's providence and in God's promises. But this is exciting. They're now on the precipice before they enter into this promised land to fulfill what God had called them to be. Now, I want you to sort of take those ideas, those themes. We haven't been walking around for the past 40 years. We haven't been slaves for 400 or so years. We haven't experienced any of that, but in the last two years, we've experienced a lot of restrictions. In the last two years, there's been a lot of, I guess you could say, our own wilderness experience that has been going on. And now as we open up, now as we look to this coming year, I want us to actually have a look at and learn from the nation of Israel out those same themes, those same ideas, those same principles of how God takes them from where they are and to where he wants them to be, and that prayerfully he might do the same for us that there are certain themes, truths, and principles here that prayerfully you and I as a church can learn from and apply, especially as we look at this entry into the new year. So let me open it a word of prayer, and let's go on this journey together as we look at just what God does with normal people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the beginning of a new year. And with many of us, we're excited because there's a freshness. There's the excitement of, of something new. And even though things may be uncertain, even though there is fear in many people today, even though there is worry because we don't see the future, we can take confidence because we know you. I pray you will help us to look past just all the issues of the temporal world around us and keep our eyes focused on eternity. To have our eyes upon you with you at our right-hand side, we will not be shaken. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you now. Please teach us this morning by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, and the people I've been talking with and when you watch the news, I reckon, I honestly reckon people are just getting fed up. People are getting fed up with lockdowns, with worries of lockdowns. People are getting fed up with just what's going on and, and all those worries and stuff. I, I've found that a lot of people now have come to this conclusion of we've got to learn to live with this whole issue in the pandemic. Just learn to live with it instead of trying to eliminate it. So when we look at the children of Israel... And we look at the context of today's text, who are going to jump into a fresh start. We are going to have a look at that same text and prayerfully see just how much we can learn from them. So if you look at verses 1 and 2, we have a detailed description about where they are, their physical location. You know, they're in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tafel, etc., etc., etc. I reckon if you could take all of those points on a map, you could probably triangulate where exactly they are geographically, okay? But have, I want you to have a think of it. The word Arabah, when I had a look at that in the Bible dictionary, the word Arabah, it's a loose border between, between sort of like Jordan, uh, sort of like the, of the promised land and, and Jordan, okay? On the, other, on the east. So I got, okay, my geographical skills aren't very good, but let me explain, okay? Because this is a very exciting. 
So Arabah means it is a desert place. It's sterile. There's no life. There's no prospect of life. It's just desolation. That's what Arabah means. That's where they are now. Okay? Then you see this opposite Suf. Now Suf, if you look at the King James, it actually means the Red Sea. So you look to the south, you see Suf. There's the Red Sea. What does the Red Sea, Red sea represent? The Red Sea represents God's deliverance. The Red Sea represents God's destruction of their enemies. The Red Sea represents them being taken from slavery and into something new that God had given them. But that's happened 40 years ago. So what's also self? Well, if you have a look on the map, you have this place called Hazaroth. See, this is what I find interesting. So you've got this reminder in the Red Sea, but you've got this place called Hazaroth. What happens at Hazaroth is where Miriam and Aaron question the authority of God because they question Moses and his authority. In other words, when, you, when questions are raised, what does that mean? It means that there's doubt. So yes, you have this reminder of God's power, of God's deliverance, but also there is this reminder of one's doubt which accompanies right, right there next to it. Then you have, and what happens with this, is that you have what's called a, a Dizahab. Dizahab, now Dizahab, Laban, Tafel, uh, and, and I was it Laban, Tafel, Paran, those places are only mentioned once in the Bible, and that's here, okay? That's here. Now Dizahab, that's just called a desert place. That's all it is. So you look south, what do they see? They see a reminder of God's power, but also doubt of God's power, which results in what? desolation. If you look to the west, you have Paran, the city of Paran, and then you have the wilderness of Paran. You know what the wilderness of Paran is? That's where they wandered about for 40 years. So they're in there, they look to the west, you see the wilderness of Paran, where they walked around and around in circles for 40 years. Lots of activity, lots of motion, but no progress, no growth. They were busy, I like how Pastor Pastor John, when he said that, busy, um, busy under Satan's yoke. I, I, I like the word bound, bound under Satan's yoke. They were busy going round and round and round, but there was no progression. There was no growth. When you look to the north, to the slightly northwest, just of the, of the Dead Sea, you have Laban or Laban. Now, Laban outside, this is the only place this is mentioned as a geographical location. The only place it's mentioned as Laban is Rachel and Leah's dad who does the dirty on Jacob. Now, this is what I find interesting. Maybe I'm reading into this, but bear with me, okay? Bear with me. What does Laban represent? Laban represents deception because Jacob was hard done by. He got, he got married to a woman that he didn't want to get married to. And so he was deceived. Now, what's really cool, you have Laban and then you have Tophel. You know what Tophel means? Tophel means quagmire. It's a swamp, the promise of moisture that ends up seeping in and getting you stuck. So what happens? What's another name for Jacob? Israel. So what happens with Laban? He gets trapped into a marriage he doesn't want to be trapped into and gets stuck. He gets sucked into it. And that's what happens. That's what, that, that's what the reminder is for them. So then you have off to the right, off to the east, you have Jordan, which is what? Just the enemies of Israel. That's all there is. So think about this. You have in the Arabah, place of no life, sterilization, desolation. They are standing there. They look to the south. They see in the south, Suf, the reminder of God's power, but also doubt 
in God's power, which leads to what? Desolation. They look to the west. What do they see? They see Paran, the reminder of there's the constant movement, constant activity, but no progression, no growth. That's all. They look to the north. They see what? Deception and Laban, which results in them being stuck in their place. They look to the west. What do they see? They see the enemies of them as a people. They look to the left, right, sit up there. They look all around them. And what do they see? They see nothing but desolation. That's where they are right now by their own choice. They are there because they sought to do things their way when they doubted God, when they doubted his power, when they doubted that he could actually fulfill his promises to them. They put themselves right there. Now, this is what excites my heart. Well, not excites my heart. This is what convicted my heart because I think a lot of us are in Arabah. And I think we look to ourselves. We look to our Suf and our lives and remember the great deliverance that we experienced. But you know what that's become? Probably for a lot of these people here, just a story. Just a story to remind us. Or we look back to our Suf and what do we see? We see our doubt in God's power in our lives. We see his doubt and we think, okay, that's my effort. I see, I know that's what God can do, but I don't really think he can in the 21st century today. In 2022, I don't think he can. I mean, he didn't do much for me in 2021, didn't do much, much for me in 2020. And so we look, and what, so what's our, what's our suf? Yes, we have that, but then what's our Hazaroth that caused the, the, the Dizahab in our lives? Or we look to the, our, our West, and we see our Paran and our wilderness, where we are active, we might go to church, we might, we might be active and going round and round, and we might be busy. We come to church each week. We, we work at the, at, the, at the broadcasting for the online streaming. We, we do the worship. We lead our Bible studies. We spend our time attending prayer and stuff like this, but it's just activity of us going round and round and round and round and round, and yet there is no growth. What's our Paran that we've looked at to try and deliver us from this Arabah, from this desolation in our own lives of where we're stuck? Or we look to the north and we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves by thinking, okay, well, if I, if I get into that right relationship or if, if I can get into that position or if I have this house or if I have this car or if I'm able to accomplish these things, then that'll give me life only to find that you've been bound in the quagmire of Tafel because you've now got burden upon burden and responsibility after responsibility and, and the activity that you're attempting doesn't do anything but make you more frustrated. And then we look to our west and what do we see? Sorry, our east and what do we see? We just see the world that stands against everything you represent because you hold to Jesus Christ. We see the enemy that, that whispers into your ear. We see the, the, the world that says you're, you're a nut for following Jesus Christ. We see all of those things around us, which is yours. Because we have a look around, we see all of these things in our own lives. And I think we need to come to the understanding that if we are in this Arabah, not even as individuals, not even as a family, not even as a married couple or in the friendships we share, but even for us as a church, even for us as a church, at this place where we're just stuck and we don't know what to do or we try things, we'll go to Paran, we'll go to Laban and, and Tafel, we'll go to our, we'll look back and we'll think, well, that's where we were, but that's what it was back then. What, what do we do to move from this place of lifelessness 
the, this place of desolation spiritually in our lives, this place where we just lack joy, where we lack the praise of the Lord, where we lack the intimacy that we once shared with Him because we've been burdened down with so many other things in our lives that we have chosen to burden ourselves down with. We've let those comments get to us when someone says a snide remark on the side. We've allowed what somebody does to discourage us and we harbor that within our hearts. What has placed us in Arabah? Because I think the greatest thing about us leaving this place is what God does to deliver them from it and to deliver us from it too. In other words, how do we be enabled to take the first step out of Arabah in our own lives? Like I said, as individuals, as couples, as parents, as a church, what do we do? Because this is my heart for us this year. As we are entering into this new year, my heart is that we leave Arabah together. That we leave Arabah together and see how God would lead us into the abundance that he promises us. That's what I'm really excited. So how do we take that first step? You don't know how we take that first step? I reckon the first thing is that we remember, I'm gonna just say real briefly, in verses three to five, we remember what God has done. That's the first thing. We have to understand that God is capable of this because this is what happens, okay? In, in Numbers chapter 21, verses 21 to 35, so they start making their way. So, so here, okay, here's my, my terrible geographical maps again, okay? All right, so here is the Dead Sea. Tophel is about here, okay? The Arabah, I know that's it. So here's the Dead Sea. They're, they're about here. Now, the only position that they have to leave, all right? Like they could go this way, but God doesn't tell them to go that way because Kadesh Barnea is about here. And that's where Moses was when he sent the, the, the spies up to go spy out the promised land. Instead, God brings them around northwest of the Dead Sea along the side through a land called Moab. Now, here's what's really interesting. Messages are sent to Sihon and Og. And he says, hey, look, can we pass through your land? Can we pass through your land? We're not going to go to any fields. We're not going to the left or the right. We just want to pass through your land. We won't drink any water from your wells. We won't do anything like that. We just want safe passage through. Can you grant us safe passage? Essentially, they're saying, hey, look, man, don't start nothing. Won't be nothing. That's pretty much what it was, okay? Don't start nothing. Won't be nothing. You know what Sihon said? Sihon said, oh, man, I'm starting something. I'm starting something. So Sihon gathers all this stuff, and he attacks Israel. Attacks Israel, which God in his grace delivers them. So, but so, Sihon is delivered, Og, sorry, is delivered. Israel is delivered by defeating Sihon and by defeating Og as they go up the northwest of, um, of the Dead Sea through Moab. Now, here's what I want you to think about. If we are in Arabah now, in our lives, and we've got to take our northwest site through Moab, you will encounter opposition. It is going to be difficult because there are steps that need to be taken in order for you to be delivered from the state of apathy within our own hearts, okay? You're gonna have so many things against you. You want to live in freedom to praise God. You wanna live in power. You wanna allow the Spirit of God to work through you. That's how you wanna live. That's how I wanna live. I'm sick of the Arabah. I'm sick of looking at Hazaroth. I'm sick of looking at Paran and Tafel. I'm sick of all that. I want to get out of this and move forward to where God wants me to be. 
as soon as you do that, you're going to have three major factors, three major opponents in your life. You're going to have the world, you're going to have the flesh, and you're going to have the devil. The devil doesn't want you to experience that. The devil likes us in our apathy. The devil likes us to be like we how we are and just going through the motions. You know why? Because we're ineffective. We're ineffective. We're, 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 we're useless. That's basically all it is. He goes, look, you can keep doing your religiosity. You can keep going through the motions. As long as you are not shining as a light for Jesus Christ, that is fine. As long as you are not sharing the gospel and leading others to Christ, well, that is fine. You just be happy going to your church services on a Sunday, attending your little Bible studies, doing your little prayer meeting once a week. You be happy in that. As long as you're not making an impact for the kingdom of God, then keep doing what you're doing. I'm not happy with that. And I know for a fact you're not happy with that either. Because God desires to give us so much more. Because what's really exciting is this. If we have these big three enemies against us, we do have this confidence laid out before us. When the world comes to us, what are we told? And 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in the world. That's oh, right, he that is us. Please, that was her heresy there. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. What did Jesus teach? He said, let not your heart be troubled. Why? I have overcome the world. So you know what that means? We're guaranteed the win. We're guaranteed the win. That is, we step and then the world challenges us and the world whispers to you, we can overcome in Jesus Christ. When it comes to the flesh, if you've got your Bibles to the Romans chapter 8, when it comes to the flesh and our own selfish desires, Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, it says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. The flesh is condemned because we are in Christ. We have victory over our flesh. And when we have the devil, if you read James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, we are told to resist the devil and he will flee. But in verse 8, what's really exciting, it says, you draw near to him. What does he do? He draws near to you. That's, even though we have such opposition, how we take that first step is for us to actually choose what our minds decide to focus on, who we choose to hold on to. I will, as 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, I will bring, or demolishing, as it says in the NIV, demolishing arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It's what we choose to keep our minds on, what we choose to focus on in, in that aspect. So if we're going in our bar, heading on our northwest through Moab, and we get that opposition, it's what we choose to hold to, who we choose to look at as we continue to walk forward. That's what's exciting. To meditate on all that Jesus is and what Jesus has done in order to deliver me from me. 
Because if anything, I'm one of the biggest enemies to everything God wants to do in his life. I'm the one that's resistant to his spirit moving. That's why when you read in Philippians 4, you know, whatsoever is true and noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. No one is truer than he who is the truth. No one is, is more noble than him. No one who is more righteous than the Lord of righteousness. No one is more lovely than he who is love or more admirable or more excellent or more worthy of praise than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why if we're gonna have our minds on anything or on anyone, it has to be on him. Now remember, now remember, their identity wasn't anything else except their relationship to God. That's what their identity was. It wasn't a land because they didn't have one. It wasn't their might because they had none. It wasn't anything else because they had nothing. It was only in God. And that same principle translates even to me now in the 21st century. It's in the person of Christ where I find my identity. I like to define myself as being a bald-headed Samoan, right? No, no. No, no, that is secondary to the fact that I know Jesus Christ. Because I could grow here. Well, I know I can't, but anyway. But I know I could grow here, but that's not going to mean anything. I could get surgery to change my skin color. That's not going to mean anything. I'm not defined by the way I look. I'm not defined by how many kids I have. I'm not defined by who I'm married to, as, as amazing as she is. I'm not defined by the fact that I'm a pastor. I'm not defined by any of those things. Do you know what defines me? That I know Jesus Christ and that I'm his child and that he knows me. That's what I'm defined by. Because even when Israel possessed the land, they were still defined, even though they changed their definition themselves, they were defined by the fact that they were God's chosen people for over 2,000 years. They're still known as God's chosen people. Before Christ was born, all throughout the Old Testament, they were known as God's chosen people. That's it. That was their identity. And that's to be our identity as well. I mean, if we could grasp, if we could ask God to give us, and and that's what it all comes down to. It all comes down to this, of asking God to change our hearts, to ask him to move in our hearts, to change our focus, to change our desires, especially as when we think, Lord, this is what I want, but I'm so busy with work. Lord, this is what I want, but I so want to do this. See, the issue is there. It's not the work or this or that or the other. It's it's us. That's what it is. And so then you have this enablement that he gives you that we understand and know that you will have opposition but he's also given you the means by which that opposition can be overcome. So what then do we do? What then we do do, can do to take that first step? If he's gonna enable us to take that first step, what is it that we need to do to take that first step? Now in verses six to eight, I'm gonna read it again, and I want you to highlight, circle, underline these three phrases in your Bible, okay? The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, because these are the three phrases I'm gonna stick at. Uh, Focus on. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. That's the first one. Break camp and advance. That's the second one. Into the hill country of the Amorites, etc., etc., etc. Go down to verse 8. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession. That's the third one of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. 
I want to focus on these three phrases because these are three phrases that translate through all of the Bible, through all of history to us right now here on the 2nd of January. Okay? First one, the specific correction. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. The biblical truth that the Lord desires his people not just to do more, but to be more. To be more, to be more rather than just exist, rather than just going through the motions. His heart is to reveal himself to his people so that we as his people would be convinced to be in nature rather than do an activity. That's what he wants. He wants that. I mean, it's why he says in John chapter 16, verse 12, when he says to his disciples, I have much more to say to you. I mean, he's been teaching. You read through verse 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You read all of this stuff, you get to chapter 16, and he's still got more to say, but he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. In the, in, in the New King James, in the King James, it says this, when it says, I have much more to say to you, but you cannot bear it right now. You're not ready for it. I want to show you so much, but you're not ready. Trevor McElwain, uh, one of the lecturers at Bible College, godly man, my, my brother Fritz, Pastor Fritz, hey, Pastor Fritz. And when he was, um, he came to college, he sat there, and he said what's amazing. He went up to Trevor afterwards. He was listening to Trevor lecture, and he was just blown away. He was like, wow. And he went up, and he says, can I, and he wanted to know more. And, and Trevor just said, no. And he was like, uh, um, why? And he goes, because the things that I've shared with you, you take those and live those out. And then when God has revealed such light to you, then you'll be ready for more. See, God wants to show us so much more. I mean, if, was it, if, if I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him, according to 2 Corinthians, then, then and you're like, oh, okay then. But he has revealed such things to us by his spirit. He wants to show you. He wants to reveal himself. Look at 2 Chronicles 16.9. wants to say that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. His eyes look around in the earth and he says, I want to strengthen John's heart. I want to strengthen Joyce's heart. I want to reveal myself to my people to strengthen their hearts. That's what he wants to do in each of our lives as individuals and as a church. For this purpose, John 15, 16, when Jesus says this, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. He wants to reveal himself to strengthen and make us fruit bearers, but not just a flash in the pan, but something that would last not only this life, but to eternity. That's what he wants to do. He wants so much more for us. It is why we read, when we ask of him, like he gives us his Holy Spirit, John 14, 16, if you as, as fathers can give your sons good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give you his Holy Spirit if you ask of him? John 14, 16. It's why when we ask of him in his name, we receive from him. John 16, 24, hitherto have you asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And if we ask according to his will, 
He hears us, 1 John 5, 14. It is what he wants for us. If we can understand that this is what he wants for us, wanting us out of our, our, our desert place, he wants us out of our Arabah. That's part of taking the first step, knowing that he wants that for us. Now, look, I'm, I'm a bit of a C.S. Lewis fan, okay? I'm a bit of a C.S. Lewis fan. And we read in the scriptures how no man can come to Christ unless the Father first draws him, which means this. You want to be out of Arabah? Well, we need to ask God to give us that desire to get out. And usually how he does it, I know he does this for me, is that there's this discontentment of my own desert place. There's this revelation of wherever I look around me, there's no answer except to go the way Jesus wants me to go. Even though it may be through Moab and I may, I may encounter opposition, that's the means by which I'll experience the fullness by following his direction. And so we have to ask God to give us that desire to ask him. Now, the reason why I say that in the silver chair, the book, who's read the silver chair by C.S. Lewis? Oh, Nick, and, and okay, cool. That's very cool. So there's this part in, in, the, in the book where this girl named Jill and, and Eustace, Eustace Scrub and Jill Pohl, they end up going to Narnia. Um, Eustace and Jill are talking about it, and he says, look, you know, it, it, you know, I don't think you can make him. Like, I think you can ask, and he may, he may you know, end up doing this, that, and the other, and all that sort of stuff. So they get chased by bullies. They open this door, and it's Narnia. Um, all these things happen. And then uh, Aslan is talking with Jill. And, and this is what he says. He says, um, your task. Okay, so he, he, Jill, no offense, but being a girl, pushes Eustace off this, um, off this mountain by accident. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Aslan comes in and saves, and, and, and saves him by blowing him all the way to Narnia. Now, bear with me. He says, I've blown him to Narnia. She asks, where's Eustace? I've blown him to Narnia. But your task will be harder because of what you have done. Please, what task, sir, said Jill. The task for which I called you and him out of your own world. This puzzled Jill very much. It's mistaking me for someone else, she thought. She didn't dare, dare to tell the lie in this, though she felt things would get into a dreadful muddle unless she did. Speak your thought, human child, said the lion. I was wondering, I mean, could there be some mistake? Because nobody called me in Scrub, you know, you know. It was we who asked to come here. Scrub said we were to call to, to somebody. It was a name I wouldn't know. And perhaps the somebody would let us in. And we did, and we found the door open. You would not have called to me unless I had been calling to you, said the lion. Then... You are somebody, said Jill. I am. That, that, that theological truth there in regards, it, it's, I don't fully understand it. It's one of the things that make it, makes a, our, our relationship with Jesus so interesting. And so, is that our desire for the things of God, our desire to leave our bar has to be grounded in who God is. It has to be of a spiritual birth, a spiritual nature within our very beings that has to result in us wanting to, but it comes from him. So it means we've got to ask him. Our spiritual apathy can only be addressed spiritually. That's it. We can't fix it by being active because you see the result of their activity. Once again, you look at Hazaroth, you look at Dehazab, you look at uh, Paran, you look at Laban, you look at Tophel, and you look at Jordan. That's what their efforts got them. 
That's what our efforts get us. That's why we need to ask of God to birth within us a spirit of, of, of thirst for him, of desire for him. That's why he says then, it's enough. Enough is enough. He says, it's time. It's time to move on from here. That's the first part of making that step or being unable to take that first step, recognizing that it's God who stirs that within us. And then we do this. Carry on, the second, the second phrase, the twofold nature of this. Break camp and advance. Break camp and advance. I see breaking camp in this first part as this word here, repentance. You can't get around it. Repentance, but not repentance in the way that we have defined it in the 21st century, but the way the Bible communicates it, the way the Bible teaches it. Because for a lot of us, when you talk repentance, not only to people within the church, but even people who aren't in the church, people who aren't following, you talk about repentance, they automatically say, well, I've got to stop doing stuff. It means I've got to stop doing this, I've got to stop doing that, I've got to stop doing that. That is the result of what genuine repentance is. It is not repentance. Genuine repentance, if you read in the scriptures, you read what repentance means, it means a change of mind. That's what repentance means. It means I thought this way about something, now I think this way about something. When you repent of something, it means that your mind, your attitudes, your thoughts, your feelings toward that thing do a 180 degree turn. And you know what happens when your, when your heart and your mind, when you know what happens when that happens with a 180 degree turn inwardly? Then outwardly, the 180 degree turn happens as well. I mean, we sing from the inside out. We sing that. We, we, it's why Jesus talks about it's what comes out of a man because what comes out of a man is from their heart. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Once again, this is, because, I mean, look, anybody can change an outward attitude, an outward look. Anybody can do that. And you've seen this. You've seen this with your children. You've seen this with your children. Go and do this. I don't want to. I don't, go and do this. Why? Because I told you, go and do this. And then they do it, they do it. And while they're outwardly doing it and they've conformed outwardly, what's in their heart? Isn't that right? Because it's not about, it's not, I, I think I told this at John MacArthur years ago, gave this illustration of where this girl, she was told to sit down, sit down, and she wouldn't sit down. Sit down, wouldn't sit down. He goes, look, you know, and basically the child was threatened. She sits down and then she says this, outside I'm sitting down. But inside, I'm standing up. Isn't that our hearts? Isn't that's what? This is why it needs it. So breaking camp, it's got to start with the change of our hearts, the change inward, and that's where the goodness of God comes about. If you read in Romans chapter two, verse four, when He says, "Do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not really?" not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. It is the love of God that draws you to change your mind about the things that he asks of you. It is the love of God and his kindness towards you that enables you to sit there and say, no, I don't want that of the world. I want that of God. That's what happens. It is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. And it's not just about standing there and turning around. It's standing there and allowing your heart to be turned by the Spirit of God. That's what it's about. It has to be. 
or else all that will happen is that you have this outward conform, uh, con- conforming that'll change as soon as situations change. Because this is why, and you've seen this, it is why if we start a program within the church, we have excitement for the first two weeks and then it dies. Or if there's interest showing in the first week and then it dies. Rather, allowing God to burst something inwardly that'll keep, enable it to be fruit that will last. So our mind changes, our spirits are stirred, the, the uncomfortableness sets in. The uncomfortableness of being content and in, in where you're at, that's sort of like, ooh, ooh I, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't like that. It's like, like, I, like uh, I praise God for the car that God has provided for us. And the seats are really comfortable. They are really comfortable. But I do long drives. But even a comfortable seat gets uncomfortable after a time, especially when the rear end starts going numb and tingly. And you're like, well, okay, I don't like that. And you start shifting in the seat. That's essentially what God has to do for us at times. Okay, to, to get us shifting in our seats. And for the Israelites, it was for them walking through the door that was made available to them, which was east of the Dead Sea, but also coming into contact with that opposition. And how that opposition was, was addressed, was, well, like Sihon and Og, was through obedience. That's the advancing. The breaking of camp is the change of mind, is the repentance. The advancing is obedience to the Word of God. And this is what, like, as I've been was reading this and studying this, what put my mind is, you know, it's it's not that difficult. Not to say not that difficult. The truths are not difficult. The truths that are there, the principles are there. That's not difficult. It, okay, repenting and then obeying. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> What's difficult is actually doing it. But once again, it it has to be birthed within our very spirits by the Spirit of God. And that's why in, in Romans 6, 18 and 19, uh, we read, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example of everyday life because of your human limitations, just as you use to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness that leads to holiness. Now, as, as as convoluted as that may sound, it basically means this. If you obey what God says, the conviction of God upon your heart, as you obey the word of God, as he burdens your heart with it, what happens? It leads to being sanctified, an ever greater sanctification in your own life. Because what a slave does is submit to their master's wishes, especially if they're a good master, which then results in them being not only sanctified to a greater degree, but willing to serve to a greater degree as well. So you have this one where it's enough is enough. Then it's, okay, let's break camp and advance, followed by going in and taking possession. For Israel, it was the land. For us, it is the abundant life. But I want you to consider what the abundant life is as Jesus's followers as his children see the entering and taking of the promised land uh, sorry the entering and taking possession of the abundance promised to us is actually to enter into a closer relationship with Jesus for possessing a deeper intimacy with him I want this focus of this message, if anything, is it's the cherishing and, 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 and considering precious our relationship with Jesus. 
that's what it is. Just like the identity of Israel was their relationship to God, who I think it's in Deuteronomy 7 says that, look, I didn't, I didn't choose you because you're a, you're, you're a large nation or you're powerful. I chose you because I loved you. That was it. Their identity was in the love of God. Your identity as Christians is not in the fact that we're called Grace Christian Church. It is not in the fact that we attend a church on a Sunday morning. It is not in the fact that we sit down and go to a Bible study or do prayer meeting. It is not in any of those. It is in knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's our identity. That's the thing that we're going to take to eternity. That's the thing that we're going to hold on to. That is how we are marked and sealed in the love of Christ. And that is what we're supposed to be focusing on. He is our abundance of joy in our new life as his child. He is our source of peace and the chaos of everyday life. He is our contentment when we feel like we fall short. He is our sufficiency when we feel like we don't have enough. He is our sustenance when we are weary. He is our immovable, immutable, immeasurable foundation that stands sure and solid. Doesn't matter what 2022 brings. He is the one that we are to hold on to. So as we stand on the precipice, oh, it's a flash word, eh? If we stand on the precipice of our Arabah, what are we going to do with the choices that are laid before us? What are we going to do with the burden that God lays upon our heart? What will you choose to do next? Will you be open to hear the correction of God as he reveals to each of us individually what our Hazaroth or what our Dezahab or what our Paran or what our Laban or what our Tophels or or what our Jordans are? What are we going to do when when he shows to us these things that we have looked to to give us some type of joy, to give us some type of contentment, but have left us nothing but dry and desolate? What are we going to do when he lays it before us? Because he's given us, he's given us our northwest out. He's, he's given us our avenue out. Oh, oh, sorry, my back to you, everybody. But he's given us our northwest out along the Dead Sea. He's given us that path, and it's in his son, Jesus Christ. That's where it is. That's why he says, come to me, all you who labor in heaven, land, and I will give you rest. You're not going to find it in, in the stories of old. You're not going to find it in what happened in the past. You're going to find it in me now. That's where it is. Will we be willing to come to the end of ourselves when he makes it known and take advantage of the opportunities to get to know him the Lord has made known to us? To enable us to break camp when he says. To enable us to advance when he opens the way and obey his word. Because it's then we can effectively go in and take possession of that which he has promised us. It is then we find the abundance of life that can only be discovered in Christ. Because it's only in the great I am. It's in the great I am that we have to appeal to in order to see that done. He is our only exit from our Arabah. He is our only entryway into the promised land. And he is the only way that we can stay and remain there. Closing with this, Watchman Nee says, the God who can change a sinner into a Christian by giving him his life can equally transform the fleshly Christian into a spiritual one by giving him his life more abundantly. And I can tell you this, he wants to give that to you. He wants you to experience that.
And I pray that we'll be open to his leading. So when he does, we will respond. So with that, I'm going to close in prayer, but we're going to close in a song. I'm going to ask Caress to come and sing again. But like you can do this at home, and I encourage you to do this at home. I, I think for all of us as a church, as we look at 2022, that this is our chance to exit the desert place and enter into the fullness that he desires us to have in himself. Nowhere else. In himself. And so I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to sing. And I actually want to have this time as a time of prayer. To pray for each other. For those of us that are here, to pray for each other. But not just to say prayers for the sake of saying prayers, but to actually pray. To seek God. If, if, and I know I keep saying this, but as Jono shared, if the spirit of wisdom and revelation is given, this was Paul's prayer for the church. It was given so that we might know him better, then that's what we should be praying for each other now. The spirit of, revelation, of wisdom and revelation will be open to you and I so that we might know him better. If the Lord is standing at the door and knocking in Revelation 3.20, why? It's so that he can come in with something. So we, I'm speaking really fast, so that we can experience the fullness that he wants us to experience. If we can grasp that, if we can take hold of that, man, I am so excited to see what God will do in each of our lives as individuals, as families, and as a church. Let's stop going through the motions. Let's stop going through the motions. Let's pray, and then we'll close in a song. Father, we thank you so much for the example laid in us in Scripture. And, and as I look at these truths, my heart is burdened for us as Grace Christian Church, as we who have been stuck in our Arabah for so long, that we've allowed various things to burden us down, that we have looked, looked in the, to the south and, and we have seen times where we have doubted and questioned you. We, we look and we see our activity and yet no growth. We, we look and we see the deception of, because our hearts are so deceitful and desperately wicked. We, we look and we see our enemies that, that attack every aspect of us because we know you and and Father, we are at a loss. We have come to the end of ourselves. We cry out to you. You promise that you will build your church, that the, the gates of hell will not stand against. And Father, I claim that for us now. Please build your church. Please build us. And, and we repent of our own self-reliance. We repent of our own methods. And, and Father, we leave ourselves open to you now. Please have your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please have your will be done in each of our lives. Please have your will be done in Grace Christian Church because it can only be you that can bring it about. We commit ourselves into your hands now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.